Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, your host. We are once again glad that you and grateful that you've taken a bit of time out of your day to spend with us. Uh, There are a couple of metaphors I want to offer for our conversation today. Uh, One is from the medical arena where uh, in the last uh, few decades, the medical community has has learned to focus on upstream wellness. We're all grateful for physicians, surgeons, other healthcare professionals who know how to diagnose, prescribe, and in some cases surgically repair what breaks down in our bodies. But we're becoming increasingly aware of the the more behind-the-scenes work of wellness professionals who help our bodies not break down as much to begin with. Uh, Another metaphor would be maybe from the automotive world. Uh, We're all grateful for mechanics who know how to fix our cars when they break down. But uh, the the hidden work, the the behind-the-scenes work of, of the engineers who design the cars and even people like the metallurgists who work with the materials uh, they can help make a car that is less prone to break down. And those are two metaphors that uh, lead us into today's discussion about something we're really passionate about here at Denver Seminary, which is mentoring. That often uh, nondescript or behind-the-scenes work that makes the big difference downstream. It's that upstream work. And our guest today is an old friend. I am delighted he's here with us because he and I have not seen each other in way too long. Luis Villarreal. Luis, welcome to Engage 360. Hey, Don. Good to be here today. Thanks for having me on. It is such a joy to reconnect with you. And I, and I have to say that uh, when it comes to mentoring, at least in this area, uh, I consider you one of the grand poobahs. Of, <laughs> of this vital ministry, uh, you have you have done some amazing work, and I am eager for our listeners to hear from you on that. Um, Luis is uh, the founder of mm-hmm. a mentoring organization. I don't remember when you began this, but Save Our Youth, which is an organization entirely devoted to mentoring at-risk youth. And Luis transitioned out of that, retired from that about a year ago from directing it, uh, but was the face of Save Our Youth here in Denver for how many years? Um, 25 years. 25 years, Don. So you started that, what, mid-90s? Yeah, I was in. We we uh, started uh, looking at it in 1993, and we kind of got off the ground in uh, 1994. And it was really, Don, a response to... Uh, a lot of violence that was youth violence was going around town. In fact, today, uh, Mayor Hancock in Denver, uh, uh, he says that these days today remind him of 1993, which was known as termed as the summer of violence. Kids shooting shooting each other. And uh, it was a terrible time. Yeah. You know, that's on just about everybody's mind these days, both in the U.S. and in other countries. Where are things headed? Because things are uh, so precarious with such high stakes. And uh, at least politically, I think a lot of us feel like we are faced with bad choices uh, on the menu of nothing but bad choices on the menu of options in some ways. And, And that ought to get our focus 
you know, in one respect, that ought to focus our deepest allegiance and our trust on God, who who alone right. can can rescue and redeem. But it also re-energizes us, or it should, for investment in a different sort of future. Yes. Uh, and and I think that's what you were were looking at. How do we do that upstream work with some of these mm-hmm. at-risk youth to? Uh, you know, put the things in motion, the things in place for a, a different kind of future for these kids. Well, you know, Don, um, we saw the need uh, among kids that we there was a common theme, and it's a common theme among urban kids, which is where we put our time, and also suburban kids as well. And it was the whole issue, the theme of disconnection, and so a lot of the kids were disconnected. Uh, from caring adults, you know, broken families or say single moms who are broken themselves and they just wanted um, attachment to somebody. And then on the other side, you had Christians in churches who would read about the violence, see the violence, and they wanted to know what to do. And they just didn't know how to make that connection. So you have disconnection on one side and the desire to connect on the, the giving side. Yeah, that's really interesting because if there's any one theme that I pick up on a lot societally today is that sense of hopelessness because right. the, the the problems that are screaming in our faces right now, and there are so many of them as we know, seem so out of scale that we, and the solutions seem so inaccessible that we don't know what to do. Yeah. You, you know, we, 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 we found, Don, that all good things occur in relationship, business, um, school, you know, your, your work in the seminary, uh, uh, professor and student. But if you have a good relationship, you can be troubled, you can struggle, but that relationship is a vehicle to carry you through to tomorrow. And I always say that hope is the, 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 uh, the sense of maybe tomorrow will be better than today. And so when you're struggling, when one is struggling, you're going to get well, you're going to get through in a relationship. Very few people get through it alone. I mean, yeah. God made us a social being. Right, right. Yeah, it's that undercurrent, like in a, in a big river, mm-hmm. that, um, that stabilizes even the, the top waters. Yeah. Well, what, what prompted you? I mean, you've given us some of the prompts, I guess, for Save Our Youth, but give us a little bit of your own background and how you uh, came to, uh, to be involved in this to begin with. Well, you know, Don, as I look back, I can see where the Lord was, you know, the Lord creates these little tapestries in our lives, Mm -hmm. and he takes every experience that we have, and he includes it in this design that when the time comes, when the hour calls, we're ready. And I think that was the case for me. I initially got a call from a good friend, Jim Gruen, who was the international, formerly the international president of Youth for Christ. Yeah. And he was reading about it, and Jim asked me, he was an old mentor of mine, he said, Luis, um, are you doing anything about gangs? Well, I was a, a urban pastor, and I got together with, uh, I met with five urban pastors every week for 15 years before that. We just came together to pray, really commiserate, because we were all struggling with, the, with, with struggling people. Yeah. And I said to Jim, Jim, we're all doing something with kids who are involved in gangs. They're, they're mothers and fathers who are in our church. Nothing, a no concerted larger effort. He says, well, do something if you can, and I will help. And so we investigated it. And then over the course of a year, we assembled about 100 churches. And we came up with the crazy idea of having these anti-gang, anti-violence 
rap concerts by Christian rap artists who are former gang members mm. that gave messages of hope. 5,000 kids in one night, 800 kids came to Christ, and it totally shocked me. I thought, there is no way that, number one, rap can do anything good. Well, <laughs> when it's a message of hope, it will work, yeah. and these kids were eager. Um, so, uh, But from there, we, we realized, how do we fill this disconnection? Well, in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus, after healing on the Sabbath, they want to— they murder Jesus, and Jesus, his his defense was this. He said, listen, I'm doing what my father does. A son can only do what he sees his father doing. And so we said, well, kids reflect who they've been connected to, and they reflect what who they've been disconnected from. So we got to fill the gap. And, you know, the Lord was preparing me for that life's work. I come from a single parent home. My father died when I was young. We were a migrant family traveling the migrant fields from Texas to Colorado to Wyoming to Idaho to mm-hmm. Oregon in the Yakima Valley. And so, you know, in some ways, Don, I was custom made to see the need and to 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 act, be activated for God's service. Yeah. Huh. How, did, how does how did it work? What uh, and because Save Our Youth is still ongoing. Yeah. Um, under new director now since you retired. Yeah. Uh, but how does the process work? Because I, I want uh, listeners, not only in this area, but around around the country, around the world, to get a vision for how mentoring uh, of at-risk youth can work. How, how did y'all do it? Well, first of all, we, we, we decided that we had to come up with some kind of a philosophy or some kind of model. So as we thought about it, we thought, okay, kids struggle are struggling emotionally, spiritually, and educationally. So we want to address those three areas. The emotional area, it, it addressed the question of who am I? You got to know who you are. If you know who you are, you know what you can do and what you want to do. And then we said, you know, kids have a spiritual need. It addresses the question. So we focus on the spiritual development. So emotional development, spiritual development. Spiritual development addresses the question of who is God? So who am I and who is God? If God made us, he's our creator, then he, he knows the formula for, for, for right living. And then we wanted to address the question of education, because if you cannot excel educationally, you really are limited in your opportunities. So that addressed the question of what am I going to do with my life? So the three questions, who am I? Who is God? What am I going to do with my life? Uh, We thought that's the right formula. And so kids, though, were so eager that we got calls. We received calls every single day. And we can't keep up. There was always a waiting list of 80 to 100 kids. Just to kids connect, from, connect them with a mentor who would walk them the, through those three areas? Right. The three areas. And they really wanted relationship. And, you know, Don, in this time of race, of discussions of race, race relations, we had black kids, Hispanic kids connected with white, largely white mentors. And it was never an issue. Color was not an issue. Race mm-hmm. was not an issue. The mm-hmm. issue was... I want to connect with someone emotionally. And so you you look at and so you have black kids sometimes Don say my mentor is like my father. And you know behind the scenes I'd say well wait a minute what do you mean like your father? He's white, you're black. How can he be like your father? Well, we're not talking color, we're talking emotions. We're talking emotional needs, spiritual need. And so kids call we they have to write an app, they have to fill an application, tell me why you want a mentor. 
if you can't, then when you decide wh- why you need one, call us. And then a mentor has to tell us why they want a mentor, because uh, be a mentor, because there's got to be uh, good and healthy reasons to want to be a mentor. We yeah. do all the background checks and then we meet with mentors. We meet with kids and then we find the right match. And it could take weeks. It could take two months. But in the end, we match them and the the average mentoring relationship among kids is nine months. Ours is three and a half years. That's amazing. Ours is, it is amazing. Yeah. Kids are hungry and, and mentors mentors are committed. Again, like I said earlier, there's mentors, Christian mentors who want to help. In fact, one mentor called me and said, Luis, I want to help you, but I don't know how to get to where you are. And I wanted to tell him, well, get on I-25, go north and get off at 23rd Avenue. He says, no, I don't. I don't want a GPS. I don't know how to get there emotionally and spiritually. I'm uh, afraid, but I want to help. And so we're the bridge people. Save Our Youth is the bridge, uh, culturally and spiritually and emotionally. So from your own background you were and, and your uh, pastoral ministry, you were pretty well attuned to the, the culture of at-risk youth and the needs there. But once you got involved in this and you, you directed Save Our Youth for 25 years, what, what did you learn along the way? about mentoring, about the, the kids you were working with? Well, you know, when, when, when a person is needy, they need a solution. When you have a headache, you need a solution. You need an aspirin. You need something. And you can do everything it takes. Now, in, in a child's life, if you, if you don't have an adult, you're going to find a solution. And tragically, and this is the case with gang kids, um, they're going to take their 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 for, for, forgive the use of the word. They're going to take their best shot. They're going to look for someone to fill the gap. Oftentimes, then it's another youth instead of an adult because there are no adults available. But a, a youth cannot fill the the uh, the role of an of an adult that comes with a lot of experiences. Adults who've made mistakes, and so when they connect with youth. It's it's very logical. Gangs are very logical. They're 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 getting someone to fill the emotional need that adults can't fill. Yeah. And so they find a friend. In fact, Don, you know, if you look at the book of Jephthah in the book of Judges, chapter 11, Jephthah was a mighty warrior. The Bible says he was a son of a prostitute and he's an he's he's basically a gang member and he gathers around him group. The Bible says group of adventurers. But I say a group of homeboys. Hmm that could meet his need and it wasn't it didn't look good it didn't look good he was an angry kid and kids really should be angry yeah and in that, when they and don't in have that adults. story his his uh his siblings had rejected him right because of his um because of his birth circumstance yeah and his father wasn't a philanderer and so he had nobody around him so instead of an adult what does he do he runs to other youth and so we we try and we try and cut him off at the pass and say now here's Here's an adult, and they come to us. Here's an adult that we want to match you with, and they they readily they readily uh, connect. Don, they readily connect with an adult, yeah. regardless of race or color. Hey, give us a give us a good story. I'm sure you've got a million of them from 25 years, but what's a a good a good story that would capture how God used the mentoring through Save Our Youth? Here's a here's a good story. We had a we had a 12-year-old kid, no, 11-year-old kid, that uh, there's a Catholic inner-city school. Um, um, Sister Jean was running this uh, 
um, school. We had a, we had a relationship with him. She refers this boy Raul to us, and Raul is 11 years old. He's an only child. Mom and dad work two jobs. They're they're very poor, and so he is a um, he's depressed. And we match him with a with with a, a man who's white, white mentor, who's an accountant. Well, uh, Raul had a um, a Gmail or a, uh, he had a um, what do you call it? not G- what do you call it? Uh, anyway, his his Gmail was uh, maggotboy six six six. Oh, his email tells, his email address. His email yeah. address, yeah, maggotboy six six six. He was angry. And me, like a father, I said, "Now, Raúl, you get home." And I was, I was upset with him. You get home and you get rid of that thing right now. That's not the answer. But that's how he felt. He felt like a maggot. Well, this mentor met with this boy for five, six years, even longer. So, Raúl graduates from high school, and his mentors with him the entire time. Well, 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 guess what Raul became? Parents are both uneducated. Raul becomes an accountant. Uh-huh. He becomes an accountant. You know, again, we, we reflect who we've been connected to. Yeah, and a sure. son can only do what he sees his father doing. In some ways, the mentor was like a father to him, and he became an accountant, and Raul's doing great. He's I'll, doing great. I'll bet that changed that mentor's life as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember... wanted to be tough on this kid. And the mentor would kind of put me in my place. He said, Luis, he comes from a different kind of background. He's struggling. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And we had a role reversal. (laughs) The mentor's coaching you, huh? Yeah, come on, mentor's (laughs) coaching me. And, you know, in this kind of work, uh, Don, you really got to be open to those role reversals. Kids will teach you things, and mentors will teach you things. I remember a mentor, a, a mentee, um, told me he had done some terrible things, and, and I was a, I, and I met him. I, we were at a funeral, and I and I kind of confronted him, and he and he breaks down in tears, and he said, "Luis, it's like it's like the words of Paul." He said, "Luis, when I was a child, I acted like one, and if I could if I could turn back the pages, I'd be different. But now I'm an adult, and I do things differently, and I feel a lot of regret. And you know what? I broke down." He breaks down and I break down and I say, you know something, um, Jose, you're exactly right. Forgive me. And so you you got to be humble enough to hear God's voice. Yes, we're the experts, but you know what? God still speaks through people who are, quote, non-experts. Oh, yeah. Because the Spirit lives, the Spirit speaks through different avenues and different vehicles. Yeah, here, here. You know, um, the, how you and I connected was over, well, probably about 20 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and many people will know that mentoring has been a central part of the curriculum in every degree program at Denver Seminary for over 20 years. Yep. And and that's not just a sidebar or a box, bunch of boxes to check. It truly is a central staple item in the curriculum here. And uh, mm-hmm. if I can, I guess, be a little bit institutionally self-congratulatory, I think we were the first yeah. accredited seminary in North America to put mentoring into our curriculum at that level. And in those early years, we were, you know, doing these, you'll remember these, Louise, these international conferences on mentoring. Because right. you were a yeah. plenary speaker for us and did some workshops. Mm-hmm in those days. Well, anyway, over these two decades plus that 
we've had a central emphasis on mentoring here. One, and I worked with that, as you know, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. One of the recurring thread lines in that process was what mentors would tell us. And I used to hear this every semester, multiple times for years on end. And the mentors mm-hmm. would tell us, I don't know who's getting more out of this. Yes, right. The, the student or me, because God has used this to profoundly touch and transform my life. And, and often, unexpectedly, the mentors would tell us that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. Yes. So, Luis, you uh, you moved away from Save Our Youth, turned over leadership of that about a year ago, right? Right. And uh, are now working with a new ministry. You're just not well, going to you're just not going to sit down and rot, are you? <laughs> well, you know, Don, I'm what I'm doing with this other ministry is basically helping them raise a little bit of money because I know a lot of people. And, you know, when I say raising money, it sounds like I'm out there asking for a lot of money. But, but you know what? In my career in ministry, God gave me God was very kind to me, but I rarely I rarely ask for money. I just I just shared the need and people always wanted to know how they could help. Mm-hmm. So we started a ministry about six years ago called The Master's Apprentice. Today in college, Don, 60% of the students are female and 40% are male. Fewer and fewer males are attending college. Well, you know, college is not the end all. However, if you do go to college, you learn navigation skills, you learn knowledge, you gain knowledge so that you can, as I say, navigate the world. And so fewer and fewer young men were going to college. So I was thinking, okay, so what's the other alternative? What can we do? And so the kids that were graduating from our program, our ministry, they would be carpet layers. They they clean houses. They clean carpets, shovel snow. It really wasn't the work that could provide for a family. Mm-hmm. And so we saw more and more young men have children not get married, even Christian young men, because it was the, the, the implicit message. If I can't support myself, how am I going to support my family in an official way so they wouldn't get married? So we thought, okay, what, what exists out there? So we came up with the idea as we looked around that the trades, the construction trades were a great opportunity, an avenue where young men and a few young women could build and grow a career. We didn't want to provide jobs. We wanted a career, Hmm. a track that would take them upward where they can earn very significant salaries and provide for their families. And our in our in our theme was in found in First Thessalonians four, eleven and twelve that says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And so we begin to attract men. And so today it's a seven week soft skill course. It addresses attitude and ambition, um, uh, appearance. We talk about credit. We talk about money management. We talk about banking. We talk about construction math. And the people that we attract are operating at a very low level. They're, they're, they're laborers. They're, they clean cars. But within seven weeks, Don, uh, and we have retired men, engineers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, that train our young men 
And, um, and, and there's a lot of different facets. I can't tell you what all of them are because I'm not in the classroom. But after seven weeks, they will be offered three to five job opportunities in the top level construction, uh, commercial construction companies. And they will start at 32500 And they will start out as a, official apprentices. In four years, they will become journeymen. And they will earn sixty thousand. In ten years, they will be master electricians, masters in HVAC, heating and air, uh, plumbing, and they will earn near ninety to one hundred and ten thousand. So it's now become a career, and we we are kind of like the the um, well the, the 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 construct the the commercial companies absolutely love us, and so we are a bridge to to a career in the trades. Remarkable. That's what we do. That's remarkable. It, it is. It is remarkable, Don. Gosh. It's the best idea that God ever gave us. <laughs> I mean, you know, Don, if you, if you look in the Old Testament, too, the first time, I think, is it, is it in Chronicles? The first time that the word filled with the Spirit is used are with the craftsmen yeah. that are preparing for the yeah. temple. Yeah, it's Exodus 31. Exodus. And, and okay. you're right, and you're right. That is, I use that as an example in some of my courses. That that is that is the first time in the scriptures anybody is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was yes. the craftspersons, the artisans who were who were doing uh, the work on the tabernacle in stone, wood. Set, yes. And I mean, nobody ever told me in my Christian upbringing that you needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a woodworker. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you you know, Don. Um, you know, the, the problem with the trades is that people have a a negative view of the trades. They look down on the trades. They say it's blue collar. But, you know, Don, when you invite, when you call an electrician, when you call someone for your heating and air, these guys are trained in electricity, in technology, in computers, and in heating and air, thermal air. These guys are brilliant, and yeah. I always tell people, have you ever met a, a dumb tradesman? I never have. You don't want to. No, you don't want to. <laughs> you know, you're reminding me of a, of a book I've often, often recommended, not a Christian book, uh, called Shop Class as Soul Craft by, yes. Ma- by Matthew Crawford. Have you seen that? I think I read that Yeah, Cr- Crawford, interesting guy. I won't take up much time with his story, but Crawford— uh, has a Ph.D. in political PhD. philosophy from the University of Chicago, worked in a yep. Washington, D.C. think tank for a number of months after completing doctoral work, and interestingly found that work very one-dimensional and intellectually numbing. He left that, went to Richmond, Virginia, and started a motorcycle repair shop and wrote that entire book to show how the trades, not not merely uh, simple manual labor, but the classic trades, are far more intellectually well-rounded and intellectually stimulating and intellectually challenging than anything mm-hmm. he did in a Washington D.C. think tank. Yeah, that was a that was an excellent book, Don. Excellent. And I remember when he was like what 13, 12, he was in Berkeley and he was he was just going door to door looking for something to do. Yeah. And and you know the thing about the trades too, Don, is when you and I grew up, Don, we had wood class, we had middle class. Um, today those are gone. Kids, boys are not exposed to the trades. Yeah. Yes. And like in that story, that boy was attracted to working with his hands. Yeah. And I think that does come from God. Well, and it he, comes from our creator. Yeah. He actually grew up in a hippie commune in New Mexico and, <laughs> and, and just had to learn how to do stuff, had to learn how to fix stuff. Yeah. And yeah. all of that, you know, com- combined with a high level of intelligence prepared him to do something that 
uh, society really does in some ways look down on the blue collar trades and yet <coughs> those are uh, it, there's there's a reason they're called masters when they really uh, get to the top of those trades so i'm i'm so excited about what you're doing and it's yeah, called no. the, the master's apprentice correct the master's apprentice and don we are getting college graduates coming to our classes why because they want to pay off their school loans. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, Luis, how can people who, if even if they're not in the Denver area, if they want to learn more about these ministries and think about what God might want to do in their own locations, uh, something similar to Save Our Youth or the Master's Apprentice, where do they start? Well, you know, um, there, there's always a, a youth uh, mentoring program in town somewhere. And so, you know, on the East Coast, I know there's a, a, a number of different Christian ministry youth mentoring programs. And I think if you just Google a youth mentoring ministry, <clears throat> you're going to find something. Also, in, in the trades, um, uh, jobs in the trades or, or apprentices, apprenticeships in the trades, they're, they're, they're uh, available. Right now, Don, ten, this sounds crazy, Don, it sounds impossible, but 10,000 tradesmen are retiring every single day. Oh we, yeah, we, the trades are screaming for help. Yeah, and if we if a bad recession comes, it really doesn't matter. It's recession proof. Yeah. When you need a when you need a heating guy, you need a heating guy. So, um, you can just Google either of those areas, youth mentoring or the trades uh, apprenticeships in, in the trades, and you'll find it because yeah. those are desperate needs to be filled. Okay, and people can get information, get ideas from those two websites. Save our youth's website. And, yeah, Save Our Youth and, and The Master's, Master's Apprentice. Yeah, you have a website for that as well. So I'd encourage people yeah. to look at those websites, get ideas, talk to people, and see where the Lord might use you. You know, in my next life, I want to be a welder. Do you? That, <laughs> I really think I do. If, you know, well, Don, if you reincarnation know is a real thing, well, I'm going to be a in, welder. <laughs> in three weeks, <clears throat> there's a place in town uh, that's uh, owned by Gary Armstrong, who happens to be the chair of the board over at uh, Colorado Christian University. He has a place that sells welding supplies. I'm going to go take a welding class in three weeks. Uh, you it's a Saturday to, class. We may need to do that together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, yeah. it's 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 a good. I I see why you'd want to be. It's it's great. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. Luis, th this has been a delight. Thank thanks for um, not only spending time with us, but for the just the years of investment in in mentoring uh, these these at-risk youth whose future would be pretty dim without people to come alongside them and invest them in, in them and love them and believe in them as you've taught people to do. So we, we just want to, on behalf of maybe the church at large, thank you for, for letting the Lord use you in these ways. Well, thank Good you, Don, you, and, and, and I appreciate the, the, uh, the honor and the privilege just to share uh, what I've seen and what I've been able to be a part of. And, and I appreciate your work done over so many years and your commitment and keeping your hands to the plow. You're, you're a good model for many. Thank you. Well, we want to spread the word about the kind of thing you're doing as, as widely as we can and let people um, everywhere they listen to us learn from you and let the Lord prompt some some ideas in, uh, in their own hearts and minds. Uh, this has been Luis Villarreal. Founder, director for 25 years of Save Our Youth, currently directing the Master's Apprentice here in the Denver area. Uh, if you ever get a chance to learn more about Luis or interact with him, you will be the better for it. So thanks again for spending time with us. You can always email us at podcast at denverseminary.edu. Uh, 
As I said at the outset, we are delighted and really grateful that you would spend some time with us. We want to uh, thank, again, everybody on our production staff who makes this happen on a weekly basis and would love to, uh, to hear from you about how uh, anything on Engage 360 has been of benefit to you. Uh, if you listen to us on one of the well-known podcast platforms, please take a moment and give us a rating or a review there. That would really be helpful to us and help us get the word out to others as well. So I'm Don Payne from all of us here at Denver Seminary. Thanks again, and we hope to speak with you again next week. Take care.